Okay, guys, you can be seated there. It's always amazing when the men do that. They, even when they clap, they're kind of looking around like, hey, look at me. Uh, and all the women are sitting there like, okay, is this going to be over soon? I hope. Um, well, hey, to all the moms and uh, all the women who are here today, we just want to wish you uh, a happy Mother's Day, and we want to appreciate you for all the many ways uh, that you serve uh, us. And I was thinking about the greatest way that we might be able to appreciate you is by actually praying uh, for you. So I'd like to just uh, share a prayer um, that uh, will kind of encapsulate what I've thought would be all women uh, and moms who different stages and, and things that they go through. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for all the moms and women uh, who are here today and who hold such a special place in our lives. To the soon-to-be expectant moms who are pregnant right now, I pray for your support for them. I pray that their family and friends would be encouragement to them. I pray that they would not be worried or scared but that they would know that you're in control. And I pray for the baby in their womb. I pray that you prepare that baby, that little body for this world. Your Bible tells us that even in the womb, you know us, and we thank you for this little story of life. To those moms who uh, have just given birth to a child this year, we celebrate with them, and I pray that you'd give them wisdom to know how to raise their child. To those moms of toddlers and elementary age children who uh, probably have more food stains on their clothes than anything else and feel like sometimes their entire day is just spent on uh, cleaning or going to work and then coming home and cleaning up after them, I pray that you give them strength. Give them energy, God, because I know this is a tiring stage of parenting. To those with teenagers, Lord, these moms, they love their kids so much, but this is truly a time where their kids are young adults and yet they're not quite there. So God, right now I pray that you would create uh, in the moms of our teenagers a confidence to parent their child. Give them wisdom and courage. Soothe any pain that they may have. If their kids are rebelling right now, God, or they're just hard to talk to or they're hard to understand, God, I pray that you'd give grace to our moms for their kids to remind them that you see everything and that you are their father and that you love them even more than they could ever love their own kids. So help them, God, to love like you love. And God, to those moms who have lost a child, God, comfort them right now. I can't even imagine the pain that this day must be for them. So God, come alongside them and let them know that you love them, that you are the God of life and that you promise resurrection, and that this is not all that there is, and that one day they will see their child again. And to those who've experienced loss through a miscarriage or a failed adoption or a child that's run away, let them know that they do not walk this road alone, but that you're with them. And to those who walk the hard path of infertility, 
fraught with all the pokes and prods and tears and disappointment, let them know that they don't walk alone, but that you walk with them. To those moms who have disappointment or heartache or are estranged from their children, I pray for your healing within those relationships, that you would hear their hearts, God, and that the hearts of these children would come back to their moms. And I pray, God, that you would give the courage for the mom to ask for forgiveness if there's anything that needs to be, even if it's just 1%. God, to those who have aborted children, we remember them and we remember the women who've gone through that pain. Give them your peace that passes all understanding. And to the moms of adult children or grandmas who are here, maybe they recently sent their child um, off to the military or their high school graduation's done and they're getting ready to move out and go to college. And maybe some of these moms are dealing with the fact that they're going to be empty nesters soon. I pray, God, that you'd fill any void in their heart that might be left. Some of these moms just need to know right now, God, that wherever their adult children are, that you are protecting them. Father, I also pray that you would remind the moms and the grandmas that they are way ahead of the game in this whole thing called mothering, that they're the experts, that there are mothers and grandmothers that we look to. So would you pour a desire within their heart to mother the mother of those who are expecting, of mothers of preschoolers, mothers of high schoolers? Help them to come alongside these younger moms and ask, how can I help you? How can I be the church to you? Finally, God, I pray for those in this gym who have lost a mother this year. God, would you give them your comfort that even as they grieve, that they would know that they don't grieve alone? God, thank you for all the moms and the women in our church. Be with those moms who parent alone. They're my heroes. I don't know how they do it, but I pray that you'd give them strength and let them know that this church family is there to help them. And God, for those moms who have husbands, I pray that the husbands would step up, not just today, but throughout this year, to be attentive to these women, to put their needs above their own and to be supportive. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that your blessing would be upon every single mom and woman in this place. And that not just today, but throughout this year, you would give them your peace and your rest and your courage. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give our moms uh, one more big hand uh, for what they do in our lives. Well, I'm sitting at a table today because a week ago, uh, I ran the mini, a little bit over a week ago, I ran the mini marathon, and uh, I had a stress fracture before, and when I got to mile two, it felt like my foot was about ready to fall off. And the reason it was is because it did fall off. Um, not literally, but it felt like that. And so I went to the doctor on Monday, and the doctor looked at my foot and how swollen it was and said, we need to take an x-ray. And so I have my x-ray for all of you to see today. 
And if you look at this screen uh, to your left, uh, you'll see that those are not toes. That's your actual metatarsals, your, your feet bone. And uh, I don't know if that really sounded right, but anyways, that's it. And uh, the third uh, one over, you see the kind of diagonal break that's there? You see that? That's not supposed to be there. You know what that means? You broke your foot. And that's what I did. I broke my foot. Now, when the doctor said, take an x-ray, I started thinking about how often we use phrases that use the word take. I mean, when you're elevating your foot all the time, you have a lot of time to think. And so I started thinking about all the phrases that use this word take. Take a hike. Take a ride. Take a bus. Take a train. Take a cab. Take a break. Take a message. Take a letter. Take a hint. Take a bite. Take a bow. Take a punch. Take a nap. Take a shower. Oh, please take a shower. How many moms or women have said that? Take a second, take a minute, take a moment, take an hour. Take all the time you need. Take a number. Take one. Take two. Take two aspirins and call me in the morning. Take the shot. Take it to him. Take it strong. Take it to the rack. Take it to the hole. Take it out of here. Take it to the house. Take it to the bank. Take it to the streets. Take it to the limit one more time. Take it back. No, you take it back. No, you take it back. Take it outside. Take it easy. Take it hard. Take it over. Take it away. Take a deep breath. Take it off. Take it all off. Take a look. Take another look. Take a closer look. Take your hands off me. What do you take me for? You can take a loan. Take out the trash. Take out your frustration. Take out your girlfriend. Take out your tonsils. Take a pitch. Take a swing. Take your time. Take your base. Take me out to the ball game. Take a walk. Take a jog. Take a trip. Take a vacation. And take your Visa card because we don't take American Express. Take a check. Take a place. Take my turn. Take her turn. Take your turn. Take his turn. Take your turn. Do you take this woman? Do you take this man? Take your picture. Take a piece of cake. Take your honeymoon. Take a lifetime. Take it for granted. Take it to court. People's court. Take your test. Take your seat. Take out your number two pencil and begin. Take up a makeup test. Take the answer sheet. Take 10th grade again. Take the car. Take the keys. Take a shortcut. Take a left. Take a right. Take a drink, take a snort, take a puff, take a left, take a right, take a left, take a life. Take your life. Take it seriously. Take a load off. Take your hat off. Take your coat off. Take your shoes off. Sit a spell. Y'all come back now, you hear? Folks, there are thousands of phrases that use this word, take. But my favorite phrase that uses the word take was actually told by Jesus himself. Straight from his lips, 
when he was speaking to a paralyzed man, and he turned to him, and he asked him if he wanted to get well. And he said, yes. And then Jesus said, well, take up your mat and walk. And I've often thought, why didn't Jesus just say, get up and walk? Why did he say, take up your mat and walk? And I think the reason he did is because the mat was a part of this guy's story. In fact, it was his story because he had laid on that mat for his whole life. And when Jesus said, take up your mat and walk, this guy knew that was his story. And we all have mats. We all have stories. Some of us have spent the good portion of our life paralyzed by fear, struck or stuck in the past, crippled by addictions, by hurts, by habits, by hang-ups. But then we came to our senses. We cried out to God. We surrendered our leadership to the leadership of Jesus Christ himself and we begin to experience healing and forgiveness and the power to start walking in a new direction. And now Jesus says to us, not just walk this way, but he says, take up your mat and walk. Let the story of your life be spilled over into the lives of other people. Bring hope to the people around you. Now, over the past five weeks, we have been working through a series in which we have talked about steps that we need to come up to breathe and steps that lead to freedom. And they're all at the back of your teaching outline because I wanted to give them to you in one place that you could turn to when this teaching's over. And today, we're going to conclude our series by looking at chapter 6, or step number 6, our last uh, step. And we conclude this series with this step. And this is what it says. Step number 6. Having experienced a spiritual awakening, I must now step outside of myself and encourage others with my story and continually changing life. Let's go ahead and let's read this out loud together, okay? It's up on the side screen so we can read it together. Having experienced a spiritual awakening, I must now step outside of myself and encourage others with my story and continually changing life. Now, I just stole that phrase, a spiritual awakening, straight from the 12 steps of AA. Because... What you and I have undergone with this whole relationship with Christ and as we work towards these steps is more than just a religious experience. You see, it's a a spiritual awakening. We're awakened to the presence of God. It's having our eyes open, coming face to face with the reality of your life, with the reality of your soul. It's dropping denial and saying, I'm not going to live in denial anymore. It's coming out of the darkness and seeing the light. It's pushing up 
off the bottom. It's reaching up for God's hand. It's breaking through the surface. It is coming up to breathe. And when we have a spiritual awakening like that, you start to experience a transformation from the inside out. A a transformation that you never believed possible. And when you have a transformation like that, folks, it's very hard to keep it quiet. For example, if I ever get a hole-in-one, you will all know. Every single one of you. Facebook will not be enough for me to get out the information. That bunch got a hole-in-one. Okay? My beloved Pittsburgh Pirates. Any of you that know baseball know that the Pirates are in the cellar pretty much all the time. If they win the World Series, you will all become Pirates fans or you will leave the jar. (laughs) First group didn't get that. That was good. Some things, folks, are just hard to keep quiet. Getting asked to the prom, you can't keep that quiet. Making the team, receiving an engagement ring. I remember our uh, worship pastor before Derek, Isaac, he bought his wife two engagement rings. I still don't keep that quiet. What an idiot, you know? (laughs) A scholarship offer, getting a job. Uh, getting a big job promotion, when you get the results of the pregnancy test, there are just some things in life that are just impossible to keep quiet. On another occasion, Jesus encountered a guy who was completely controlled and dominated by sin. You talk about a guy who was caught in the spin cycle. You talk about a guy who lived with demons. He actually had demons. As a result, he isolated himself from his family. He was homeless. He started cutting himself with rocks. People were afraid of him, and for good reason, because uh, this guy was dangerously confused. And most people wanted nothing to do with him. They would rather him just rot. But Jesus had compassion on the man. And through the power of God, he sets the guy free. And he finds a brand new beginning in his life. The chains fall off of him and he walks free for the first time. And when Jesus climbs into the boat to leave from this community, this guy wants to go with him. Because if you just had a whole transformation in your life, you would want to go with whoever that person is. But look at what Jesus says in Mark chapter 5. No. You go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great news Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he had told them. You see, it's very difficult to contain yourself when you have been touched by the amazing grace of God. Because grace says this, that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God simply loves you when you come into a relationship with Him, and you can't keep that silent. When you've been set free, all of a sudden you start walking 
with a different spring in your step unless you broke your foot, and then you can't. But on the grace side, when you start feeling that, it's like this baggage is taken away. It's like this weight is gone. It's like this poison is gone. And all of a sudden, you walk in freedom. And it feels so good to walk free. And today, God wants to say to some of you, take up your mat and walk. Quit worrying about your past. Quit worrying about what you did yesterday. An hour ago, turn to me, surrender to me, and walk your life. Tell your story. Share your story because it's important. You know, last Sunday, those of you who were here, it was just a powerful movement by the Holy Spirit. That's why I always encourage people, you should come every Sunday because you don't know when God might move in such a powerful way that if you weren't here, you just don't experience it. And we had this big boulder, this big rock that was up front. And I invited people that if they were ready to surrender to Christ or if their life was just shifting sand, that they should surrender to the rock, Jesus the rock, Jesus the cornerstone. And we had dozens of people that were lined up. We had seven people accept Christ. But there were a couple of people, when they got up here, they were hurting so badly that when I got up and I prayed for them, the first thing that came out of a few of their mouths was, I just feel so useless. And we've all spent some time on that island, haven't we? Where we've just felt useless. But this is the truth, folks. Jesus Christ did not put a cross on his back and go up a hill for useless people. We all have amazing worth in God's eyes. He breathed life into us. He gave us a unique personality, unique gifts. Why did He give us these things? So that we sit on them? No, so that we can make a difference in our world. And this is the cool thing. Even when you make a royal mess out of your life, Jesus says, give it to me, I'm the ultimate recycler. Any of you have the blue bags, the recycle bags? If you don't, you should. And you recycle. And it goes off, and they do something with it, and then all of a sudden you start drinking it again out of the water from some other bottle. You know what God does with your pain and your hurt and your sin and everything in your life? He takes all of that stuff that you think is so horrible. He says, no, give it to me. I'm the recycler. I recycle things. And he puts good use out of it. No one is worthless. Absolutely no one is useless. He wants you to take up your mat and walk. He wants you to share your story. He wants you to share your life. You know, this weekend, because uh, I spent most of the time in my bed with my leg propped up, again, I had a lot of time to think. Some of you with the word take were like, man, you had a lot of time. Like, maybe a little bit too much. Maybe we shouldn't pay you this week, you know. But I had my foot elevated. And I was, you know, just praying. And you know the thing I started praying for every single person here today? Is that you would not leave from this place today without being more passionate about sharing your story. Because your story, folks, is so important. 
Your story is the only story that some of your friends, some of your neighbors, some of your coworkers will ever hear in relationship to God. And if you don't share it, folks, no one is going to. You see, I think the problem is, is that what happens is that sometimes when we get connected to God, we take our self-centered, destructive behavior, and then we come into a self-centered recovery. It's a recovery that is just incomplete, though. You see, if you get recovered, if you find Christ, if you start living a life of freedom and you just keep it all to yourself, it's not healthy. You never get complete recovery. I have discovered that there is so much healing that happens by not focusing on yourself. Have you ever noticed that? When you're serving, when you're giving yourself away, all of a sudden you start feeling encouraged. In fact, they've done medical studies that talk about serotonin being shot out and people being healthier and feeling more joy in their life and more encouraged when they're giving themselves away to others. And that's why we're so committed in this church to this last step. Again, it'll come up on the side screens and uh, I'll just read it. Having experienced a spiritual awakening, I must now step outside of myself and encourage others with my story and continually changing life. Now, why did I use that phrase, continually changing story? Because I want you to know that you don't have to wait until you're completely there to tell your story. I guarantee there are some people in this gym today that are like, I don't really share too much about Christ because every once in a while when I'm at work, an F-bomb rolls out of my mouth or I get upset or I yell or I gossip and so I don't want other people to think I'm a hypocrite so I just don't try to tell the story. Guess what, folks? They already know you're a hypocrite. You're a human being. None of us are perfect all the time. So don't deny people from experiencing the love of God through your messed up life by not sharing your story. You may not have the greatest insight. You may not be able to offer the same kind of wisdom as a person who's further down the road. But again, folks, this life is a process, not a point. We're constantly moving in process. But you can say to people, regardless of where you're at, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I was. Like, that's a huge thing for some of you to realize. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. God is changing me. He's setting my feet on a new path. He's given me a new pair of shoes, and I'm walking in a new direction. You know, there's a, a phrase... Uh, it's just a two-word phrase, but we use it a lot uh, when we talk about transformation. And the word is so that. So that. Uh, If you've ever seen business takeovers or when businesses uh, come together and companies say, hey, we're going to change some things, they always say this, we are changing these things so that. When school systems make changes, I saw where Muncie Community Schools, the the uh, you know, administrators and board, they're walking through all the schools. And whenever they decide what their uh, report is, they'll say, so that, and then whatever it is. When sports teams make changes uh, to coaches or players or whatever, they'll say, we're making this change so that. 
And you know the reality is? God does the exact same thing. God does the same thing when he changes somebody. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. It will come up on the side screens. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. What, what's the next two words? So that. so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. You see, God planned long ago to use your life. Now the reality is, though, some of you took a detour. Some of you went off and did your own thing. But by his grace, he brought you back and he said, you can't brag about that. You ever notice that when... People have done things, sometimes they start bragging about, look what I've done. God says, you can't do it on this one. The reason why you've been connected to me is not because of you, but it's because of me. And he said, I did that so that he could use your life to do what? Good things. Good things that he dreamed for you long ago. You know, the reality is, folks, I never imagined that uh, I would be doing what I'm doing right now. I was trained as a U.S. history teacher. And I thought I'd go off and be a teacher and change the world and inner cities. And I just never thought I would do this. And yet I'm so grateful to God for allowing me to be used by Him. And I was thinking about it that I had, I'm a PK, a preacher's kid. And so I tortured a lot of little old Sunday school teachers. I mean tortured them. Um, And... I have a feeling that some of them, when they found out that I was a pastor, some of them went straight to heaven. I mean, they were like, whoa, massive, you know, death because Bunch became a pastor. And uh, I'm not nearly, I mean, they may have been shocked. I'm even more shocked. You know why I'm shocked? Because I know who I am. And I know what kind of person I've been. And I'm shocked that God would choose to use me. And I'm telling you from my own personal experience that if you cooperate with the leadership of God, He can recycle all your pain, all your failures, all your screw-ups, all your mess-ups, all your past into an unexpected, joy-filled way of helping other people. And when you live a surrendered life, you become the type of person That Micah talks about when Micah said this. He said, God has shown me what is good. And what does the Lord require of me to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with my God? Now I'm going to give you an opportunity. Maybe you've never had this. It is Mother's Day, but some of you moms have never even experienced it. I want you to imagine that you're God. You're God for a minute. If you were God, isn't this the type of person that you would want on your team? Isn't that the type of person that you would want to work with? Someone who acts justly. Someone who loves mercy. Someone who walks humbly with you. 
Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through You see, folks, when God turns you into a new person, he uses you to carry his message and hope and reconciliation to other people. He chooses you to be his representative, to be his ambassador, to tell the story of God who woke you up and pulled you out and took you to a place that you never thought you could be. You know, sometimes uh, when I'm playing golf or I'm at a picnic or... We're at some event where uh, the weather changes and it looks like it's getting ready to storm and there's like, you know, rain coming. People jokingly will come up and say, you're a pastor. Can't you change this situation? Can't you do something about this? And uh, I hear this and my response is always kind of the same. No, I'm in sales, not management. And the truth is, I used to be in management, self-appointed, but nevertheless, I tried to manage everything and control everything in my life. And I did a really, really lousy job. And so you know what I did? I fired myself. I said, you're not good enough to manage your life. You mess it up way too much. And so I put God on his rightful position and allowed him to be the one. In fact, the first five years of this church, I finally had to realize that I had to fire myself from being pastor. Because Jesus is the pastor. He's the shepherd of this church, not me. You come here because Christ calls you and then he touches your life. And he simply uses a small little little part of Christmas. So I just kicked myself off the throne and said, God, you're the manager. I'm just in sales. And I like this sales bit a whole lot better because I'm relaxed. If this, church is ri- if this church rises or falls, it's not because of me. It's because of the Holy Spirit working and moving in people's lives, and I can simply be used by him, and I get to walk along. So on Sundays when I hit a home run, Great. I'm glad you liked it. On Sundays when I strike out, get over it. Because ultimately, Christ is moving in his church. Here's another one of those so that passages. Let's read it out loud together. It's in 2 Corinthians. Let's read this out loud. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. 
Isn't it one of the most gratifying things in life to be like the right person at the right place at the right time? You ever have one of those experiences before where you were just, you knew you were the right person to be there? I mean, you sat in a particular booth at a particular restaurant and a person came and you had a conversation and there was a connection and it was just like, oh man, wow, God, you had to put me right there. You ever had one of those moments where you kind of had a, a divine appointment where you don't know why, but you were just there and all of a sudden, you know, you were at a place and God was present and he was there. I remember being at an IHOP one time where a guy was struggling with a huge divorce and I just sat down there and I started talking to him. All of a sudden, it was just like this whole thing and he just started sharing some hurt and pain. And I just was there. You never know, folks, how God will use you. You never know when your story, no matter what it is, will intersect with someone else and you will give them hope. And you never know who's watching. You never know who's listening to your life. You know, I think sometimes we think that God only uses perfect people, gifted people, spiritually elite people. It's a lie. It's not true. God has always used ordinary people, broken people, recycled people. Now, don't misunderstand me. People are immensely important, and it's good for us to share our strengths. But many are more, are, are, many more of them are helped when we share our weaknesses, when we share our brokenness. This is the thing that I've learned in life. People never relate as well to my successes as they do my failures. They never do. But I share failures, I share pain, I share mistakes. All of a sudden, people are connected. They understand that. They get that. As I said uh, earlier in the, in the video, who better to help someone struggling with an addiction than someone who's been there? Who better to help someone through an eating disorder than someone who's been there? Who better to help someone with the pain of abuse or unfaithfulness in a marriage or bankruptcy or loss of a child or miscarriage or chemotherapy than someone who's been there? I'm going to flash a uh, picture on the screen. Anybody know who that is? His name's Chuck Colson. He was a co-conspirator in Watergate in the Nixon administration. He was put in prison for years. But while he was in prison, he met Christ. And when he met Christ, he decided that he wanted other prisoners to know Christ and for their kids while they're in prison to be taken care of. And so he started this ministry called Prison Fellowship. There's a, a break of it called Angel Tree Ministry where at Christmas he created this whole network where people would buy a gift for people's kids who their parents were in prison. And he's done all of this for the rest of his life. He took this horrible prison experience and he turned it upside down. And less than a month ago, he died at the age of 80. But this was what I was thinking. Guess what legacy he's left? Think about all the prisoners, all the kids who got a Christmas present from dad or mom who was in prison because one man was not ashamed to take 
the worst part of his life and let it get recycled by God. Anybody know who this lady is? Her name's Joni Erickson Tata. Forty years ago, she was in an automobile accident in which uh, she was paralyzed from her shoulders down. And you think, well, what could she do? She only created a ministry called Joni and Friends that literally helps people with disabilities globally across the world. And little kids. And moms. And dads. That are disabled. Become a part of this network. And they care for them. And they love them. They give them camps. They give them experiences. And Joni understands that. Because she's been there. She is there. There's another person who's not quite as famous, but... Many of you know him. His name's Chuck Mock. He's our Celebrate Recovery Director. And uh, I love Chuck for a number of reasons. He's a great friend. He's a great leader. He's a great team builder. He's a great communicator. But after Chuck had experienced a, a divorce that he did not want over four years ago, and he went through so much pain and hurt, and I experienced that with him, And all the days after that, those of you that have gone through divorce, you know the pain. But over these past four years, he's grown in maturity and empathy and faith and wisdom in amazing ways. And there are people who have recovered from drug abuse and alcohol abuse and anger issues and grief and food addictions and all kinds of stuff because he chose to take his pain and allow it to be used to encourage other people. And I'm convinced that there are no, uh, that the most effective healers in our world are wounded healers. Someone who's been there. And that's why if you're grieving the loss of someone, I would strongly encourage you to go to Grief Share on Mondays at 6.30 at Young's Title so you don't grieve alone. And if you're going through any hurt, habit, or hang-up, that on Thursdays at 7 o'clock you go to celebrate recovery because it'll help you to heal. And the reason why these uh, ministries have been so effective in our church is because they're full of empathetic people who've been there. And God's using their past pain to pour hope into people's lives. You see, folks, this is the truth. God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a hurt. So take up your mat and walk. Share your story. Share your life. Now, I'd like to close by um, just sharing with you uh, real quickly um, a few practical ways of how you can share your story. First of all, always be humble about it. Don't come off like you know it all. Don't come off like, oh, I fixed myself. It was called the 12 Steps of Chris. I got it done in step one. Don't try to be somebody else's Messiah. There's only one Messiah, folks, and just in case you didn't know, you're not it. And don't try to be judgmental. Galatians 6 says this, verse 1, If someone is overcome by some sin, humbly help him back onto the right path, remembering that the next time it might be you who is in the wrong. 
Share each other's troubles and problems, and so obey our Lord's command. You just are humble when you share your story. The second thing you want to do when you share your story is you want to be gracious. Be gracious. In other words, that means that you use tact. I know some of you watch Dr. Phil every once in a while. And you ever notice Dr. Phil? He gets these people up here who have all this drama, all this pain, all this hurt in their life. And eventually, he just can't stand it anymore. And he just says, are you kidding me? Get a grip! Now, every once in a while, you have to go Dr. Phil on some people. I get that. But the thing that i found more often than not is that gentleness and tact are much better received. (laughs) I found this great uh, definition on tact. It says this will come up on the side screen. Tact is the ability to make people feel at home when you wish they really were. (laughs) So you use tact because sometimes people that need help are difficult people. You know, the people that God puts in front of me sometimes are difficult people. I didn't ask for them. He just put them in front of me. And then I have a choice. Do I encourage them with my story? Do I share that? Or do I do my own thing? So you use tact. You're gracious. Look at what it says in 1 Peter. Um, It says this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with what? Gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. You don't label them. You don't try to diagnose them. You don't try to psychoanalyze them. You don't do any of that. You just respect them. Here's the last thing. Be real. Be real. Just be honest with your faults. Be vulnerable. Be transparent. Because when you are, folks, it gives hope to people. And it brings healing to yourself. And many of you know what I'm talking about. I mean, every time that you share your story and you share a little bit of the hurt or the pain or the the darkness of your story, don't you get stronger? Don't you feel like, ah, wow, that was hard, but now I feel stronger. Don't you grow a little more? Don't you put a little distance between the person that you were and the person that you are now? It makes you grateful for what God's doing in your life. The Bible put it this way. Your love must be what? Real. Real. Hate what is evil and hold on to what is good. Love each other like brothers and sisters. Share with God's people who need help. Live in peace with each other. Do not be proud, but make friends with those who seem unimportant. Do not think how smart you are. Do your best to live in peace with everyone. In other words, when you share your story, be humble, be gracious, be real. Now, when I say be real, I don't mean that you have to share everything in your story. Um, You don't have to share every detail. You don't have to pull out every skeleton in the closet and go, well, let me tell you. People don't want to know all that, to be honest. But you need to be able to share some of your stuff and some of your craziness. See, when people are going through crazy behavior, they feel so encouraged to know that they're not alone. So you give a little bit of your crazy from your past. And all of a sudden, they... Understand that. Now, you don't want to exaggerate, you don't want to glamorize it, but you want to give some detail 
to it. You share things like, what was your low point? What was the crisis? What was the consequence? What was the pain that brought you to the realization that you needed help? You think through this, and maybe you say something like this. Well, man, I'll tell you, it wasn't until that Thursday evening in February when I couldn't lift my head off the pillow because my headache was so bad that I finally admitted I was an out-of-control workaholic and I needed help. Or you say, I'll never forget the day I was in my family room. I was on the green couch and my four-year-old daughter came up to me and said, Mommy, why are you sad all the time? And I realized right in that moment that I needed help. Or you say, I'll never forget it. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning. I had no reason in my condition to be able to think clearly, but I was standing there with all my buddies. There were beer cans everywhere, whiskey bottles all over the place, marijuana smoke in the air. I saw people over in this corner making out. I saw people in this corner throwing up. And I looked around and I thought to myself, so this is what my life has become? I don't want this. Or you say, oh man, I'll never forget the day that I was sitting in church and I just started crying all the way through the service. It was like God was talking directly to me. He was whispering, do you want to keep on living this way? Or do you want to get well? And so that's when I started using these steps. And I started humbling myself. And I believed. And I turned my life and my will over to the one who knows me best and loves me most, Jesus Christ. You just take up your mat and walk. You share your story and you let God speak through it. You see, folks, this is the thing. Every single person in this gymnasium is important and special because you have a story. And I hope that all of you will begin to share your story. And as you do, as you share your story, as you give encouragement, as you mentor, as you coach, as you sponsor people who have gone through what you've gone through, eventually you will feel the passion that Paul experienced when he said these words. What matters most to me is to finish what God started. The job of the Master Jesus gave me of letting everyone I meet know all about this incredible, extravagant generosity of God. And I've got to tell you folks, that's exactly the way that I feel with my bum, broken foot and all. I am just amazed at how much God's kindness and generosity is poured out onto me all the time. And you need to know, folks, that over the last six weeks, you have been listening to a recovering, ego-driven alcoholic who... Not alcoholic, workaholic. (laughs) Let's try that again. I did drink, but I was not addicted. I was addicted to other things. You need to know, you've been listening to a recovering, ego-driven workaholic who has wrestled with jealousy, lust, sarcasm, resentment, gluttony, procrastination, lying, anger, inferiority, grief, heartbreak, gossip, malice, etc., etc., etc. That's the pastor who's standing here. Someone who struggled through all of those things. 
But you need to know also that I have experienced the grace and the patience and the power of an almighty God who reaches down and he loves me so that he can use me. He gave me a new start. He changed my cold heart for something that was softer. He gave me a new direction to walk in. He gave me new shoes to wear. He transformed me daily. And as long as I live, as long as I have breath in my lungs, I will never shut up about the kindness and generosity of a loving God who loves at all times. And I challenge you that you just wake up tomorrow and you say, God, if there's somebody that you want me to share my story with today, someone who's in hurt, someone who's in need, I'm open to it. Now this is really important. There are people who will never set foot a hundred yards from that door right there. They'll never open their Bible and read. They'll never say, oh, you know, I want to go hear that bunch guy do a whole big long thing on the word tank. But there are people in your lives, your coworkers, your family, your friends, that your story could change their eternity. Your story, connected with God's story, could change their eternity. And I pray that you'd take your recycled life, whatever it is, and that you would allow it to be used for the glory of God. And Today, when God says to you, take up your mat and walk, I pray that you might simply return and say to him, okay, God, take my life. Take my life. Let it be solely given to thee. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, we uh, thank you today for giving us life and giving us hope in Christ Jesus. We thank you for setting us free. I've heard so many stories of people sharing about how this series has impacted them so much of being able to put some of their burdens down and to walk freer. Marriages being put back together. We thank you, God, for the healing that you've done. I pray that you continue to release your healing on every single person in this place. And I pray that you'd use our stories and our lives to impact the lives of others. Give us the courage this week, God, to share our story and to share your story as we encourage others. I'd invite the prayer team to come up to the screen. And uh, if you guys would like prayer for anything, uh, they're here to pray with you. Uh, Have a great week. Uh, Know you're loved in this place. And um, if you're new, pick up your free gift from Guest Connections. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Have a good week.